When a young woman begins to have paranormal events that affects her daily life, she has to ask the question, is she being protected by a guardian angel or a jealous, vengeful spirit? And then we travel all the way back to ancient Chile, where a group of shaman are performing a ritual they've performed for ages. But is it possible this religious ceremony isn't bringing them closer to God? It's bringing them closer to unlocking the truth behind UFOs, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter, I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I know I say it every episode, but I mean it. I really do hope that today is very excellent. And speaking of someone who's excellent, walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now is one of our newest supporters of the show. Give it up for Ayana Paul. Woo, yeah, all right, come on in, Ayana. Welcome to Dead Rabbit Command. Ayana recently sent me a book from my Amazon wishlist that you can find in the show notes. They sent me the book Vampires and Vampirism, A Cultural Study. I actually talked about this book a long time ago on an episode. I'll see if I can find the episode in the show notes. This book was written in 1914, only 20 years after Dracula. It's one of the earliest modern surveys of vampire myths in Europe. Cannot wait to read this book. I'm hoping to get some story ideas from it. And Ayana, I I have to address this. You sent in your note with the book that you've sent me some fan art, but you're not sure if I've received it. I have not. I don't know if you sent it to my P.O. box. I'll double check there, but I haven't gotten any emails. Shoot me an email at deadrabbitradio gmail.com and let me know how you sent it to me so I can double check and make sure we got that. But I'm definitely looking forward to it. Ayana, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon financially or by sending me books, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the show. That helps out so much when you tell your friends and family and coworkers about Dead Rabbit Radio. You can help this show grow every single day by getting the word out. Ayana, let's go ahead and toss you the hair hang glider. We're going to jump off the highest point of Dead Rabbit Command and hold on to your ankles. I hope they can support the weight of all of the listeners. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're flying all the way out to a young girl's house. We're headed out to this young girl's house. We don't have her name. This story was posted anonymously, but we're going to call her Sydney. Now, Sydney is 10 years old. And There was one day... Well, she's an adult now. (laughs) This wasn't a 10-year-old using the internet. But back years ago, years ago, when Sydney was 10 years old, she went to go check on her neighbor. Now, there's not a lot of background information, but from what I can gather, they were friendly with the neighbor. It wasn't like she was Nancy Drew in anything. She went over to see the neighbor, as she often does, apparently. (laughs) Otherwise, she is breaking into people's houses. She goes over to her neighbor's house... Mr. Wilson! There's no answer. Which is odd. So she goes inside. She does break and enter during the story. I'm assuming she goes through the door and doesn't throw a brick through the window, but... She walks into her neighbor's house. Mr. Wilson, are you home? And she sees that he is. Apparently he has one of those kitchens that has like a cutout in the wall... So it has like one of those little areas where you can talk to people in the living room, but then you can just turn around and keep cooking, keep making beans and stuff like that. 
So you have like a cut, there's like a rectangular or square cut in the wall so you can look into the kitchen, but you can't see everything. It's almost like a little serving area, like he was working at a diner. So when she walks into the house and she sees him in the kitchen, she sees him, but he's just standing there, completely motionless. And she said, I'm looking at him, and I got a funny feeling, because normally people move, especially when you call their names, especially when you're in their house unannounced. And she's looking at him, and all she can see is the shoulders to the waist. Mr. Wilson, are you okay? Mr. Wilson's just standing here. She can only see part of him, completely standing still. She knows something's wrong with that, right? But she doesn't press on. She goes back home. And she tells her parents, hey, I went to go check on Mr. Wilson and he's doing, he's playing that I don't move game. He's playing, I'm going to see how long I can stay motionless. And he's not moving. He's not, he's standing up as the parents are getting up, as the parents are getting up, afraid that he's like unconscious in his living room. He's standing in this kitchen, but he's not moving. It's kind of weird. And so the parents go over there. Since that day, since that day, Sydney's been having these reoccurring dreams. She sees a man. She doesn't recognize this man. But she sees this man in her dreams, and he's a man with an abnormally long neck. And one of his eyes is deformed. It's bulbous and large, protruding from the face. Now, this sounds nightmarish, right? But she said he would never do anything spooky. He would just be in my dreams. She's like, hey, hey, I dreamt that I won the NASCAR Cup. And she's like at the dugout or at the pit. And she's like holding up the trophy. And in the background, there's a guy slowly clapping his hands. Yay, yay, I won the Nobel Prize. She's standing in the dugout. She's standing in the science dugout. And there's a guy in a white coat clapping slowly, big head. He's wiping a tear away from his abnormal eye. He doesn't do anything crazy in these dreams. He just kind of stands around. He's just there. Until recently. Sydney has realized, and this is why she's posting about this online, Sydney has realized that whoever this is or whatever this is, who's always been a background character in her dreams, doesn't like her new girlfriend. Recently, she had this dream that... The tall man was in her house. Actually, it seems, from what I can gather from these posts, that she and her girlfriend are living together. And the tall man in the dream is not letting the girlfriend into the house. Sydney woke up. It's kind of a weird dream. Normally, the tall man is just there. And this time, he's doing something to prevent her lover from getting inside. Getting inside their home. And that same week, the girlfriend's key stopped working. Sydney's key worked just fine. But the girlfriend's key stopped working. They actually had to go get a new one made. So it wasn't the lock. The lock was fine. But you can figure, you know, keys go bad, keys wear out, things like that. Whatever. You could, you could rationalize that away. But something else has been going on that's troubling Sydney. Now, at the house that Sydney shares with her girlfriend, her girlfriend has her own artwork. Apparently, the girlfriend's an artist. She has artwork that she's hanging from the walls. 
She's putting up her own. That sounds a little self-indulgent, if I have to be honest. But I don't know. Do artists do that? Do artists look at their own paintings all the time? I don't know. Maybe they do. But the girlfriend has her art hanging from the walls. In this recent dream, Sydney's at home, and the tall man is in the house. And he walks through the house, and he starts taking down the girlfriend's artwork. Walking up to the wall. Picks it up. Puts it on the ground. Walks to the next painting. Picks it up. Puts it on the ground. That week, randomly throughout the week, the girlfriend's paintings or photo illustrations, whatever she does, macrame, starts falling off of the wall. Nothing dramatic. There's not like a giant earthquake. Everything falls at once, just one after another. Over the next couple days, her artwork keeps falling off the wall. To tie all this up in a bow, Sydney says, I remember going to my neighbor's house to check on him. I saw him standing in the kitchen. I was 10 years old. I went back to my parents and I told them what was going on. And they went over and checked on him. I just found out recently a little bit more to that story. And the parents hadn't told me. They didn't think I was ready to hear it. But my neighbor had hung himself. He hung himself in his kitchen. And I didn't see that. Like, I didn't really understand why all of a sudden he was taller than he usually was. Normally, when he was in his kitchen, you could at least see his face. He wasn't like the neighbor from Home Improvement. Like, you could see this dude regularly. But when I was 10 and I went over there and I saw him taller, I only saw him from the shoulders to the waist. I couldn't see his head. I didn't think anything of it. I figured something was wrong, and that's why I left and got my parents. But my parents are now telling me that he had killed himself. He had hung himself. And that's why his body was that way. Now, thankfully, right, she didn't see that. But the question is, is the man with the long neck and the deformed eyeball the neighbor's ghost? And she seems to think it is. I think when we look at the world of the paranormal, that would track, right? You have a ghost. Well, actually, to be fair, there it doesn't happen often. Sometimes ghosts reappear as the way they die. So they'll be completely charred, like Charman in California. It's Ojai County. Or Bandage Man in Oregon. We're going to cover him on an upcoming episode. They, they were burned, right? And so the ghosts have that. Sometimes you'll have people decapitated and they'll be walking around with no heads. It doesn't happen all the time, though doesn't happen all the time. There's a lot of people who are cut in half or squished. And their ghosts, their ghosts aren't walking around like someone dropped an anvil on Bugs Bunny. It's just like two feet and a tiny little puddle of a person. It doesn't happen all the time. People get melted by acid and chopped in half and they're walking around just fine. But we do see ghosts that their spirit is the way they died. Which is super interesting because why are some that way and others aren't? We don't know. We don't know. We haven't been able to classify that. But... Having the long neck and the eye popping out of the head, necessarily when you hang yourself, your neck doesn't get long, but the eyeballs may pop out. I know, I'm sorry, you're just sitting there, you're eating Swedish meatballs, meatballs. you're like, damn it, Jason, I wish you'd give me some warning. And even if you weren't just eating Swedish meatballs, you're like, wow, this story got super depressing, super fast. But it would track that it's the neighbor's ghost, but the question would be, why did it attach to Sydney? Because she's been seeing this in her dreams since she was around 10. Now, she doesn't say... Like the story we covered last week, she sees him once a week, 
we covered that dream story last week. I'll put it in the show notes. It was a really fun one. We don't know how often she had these dreams, but the tall man did show up in her dreams, and until recently, he was just a bystander. But now he's actually doing stuff in the dream world that is affecting her living life. Here's my big question. I don't think the question so much is who is the ghost. I think we know who the ghost is. It's the neighbor. I think I have two more important questions. Why would it attach itself to Sydney? Could be that she was the first person to discover the body. But if that's the case, then police officers and paramedics would be the most haunted people alive. Because they're often the first people to come across the body. But I'm wondering, when I read this, and I don't really know, looking at Sydney's post, I don't think she really thought about this. Her question is, I think I have a spirit attached to me and need advice. I think that the ghost is giving you advice. I don't think this girlfriend is right for you. I mean, I don't mean to break into a Dear Abby advice podcast all of a sudden, but if a ghost, if, if a spirit from beyond is in its own way giving you advice about your current relationship, it might be time to reevaluate that relationship. As far as we know, this ghost is like spying on your girlfriend, right? Going into her dreams and seeing what she's dreaming about. Maybe following her. It's wearing a little trench coat. It's standing on the street corner. It's in a disguise. Then it goes, oh, wait, I forgot I'm a ghost. I don't need a disguise. I'm just going to Casper my way through this wall. Also, whether or not you had a trench coat, you'd become obvious if you had an elongated neck. But maybe this ghost is warning you that this girl is not the right girl for you. Like, that would be my takeaway from it. My takeaway wouldn't necessarily be one that would be concerned that there was a ghost able to affect my daily life. But if there had been no incidences whatsoever, this ghost had been a common thing, or the dream, I don't even think she was really thinking it as a ghost. It wasn't until she recently started having the events where it was affecting her daily life, and she found out her neighbor killed himself, is when it's become an issue. Before, it was probably just a quirk. That she was seeing this vision. She was she wouldn't even classify that. It was just something that she dreamt about every so often. I would be concerned about the relationship I'd be in. I think it's a warning. I think it's a warning. And this spirit is trying to show you in the only way that it can. That this person doesn't belong in your home. And it definitely could be. I also think though. you To play devil's advocate. It could be jealous. Like, I know after I gave that advice, then he's like getting ready to break up with a girlfriend. Or before you send that email, it could be that uh, this girlfriend is the right person for you. This person is so good for you. It's your soulmate. And the ghost is jealous. Even though you may have been in other relationships over the years, the tall man never felt threatened by those. But now that... You've met the special someone, the one you're supposed to be with. The tall man is now not trying to warn you, but almost trying to threaten you. Almost trying to show you that I'm just going to keep messing up your life until you break up with her. So it's it's one or the other. Either dump this person immediately, she may be taking you down a dark path, or... She might be, or she might be the the love of your life. She might be the one, and if you don't dump her, this spirit is only going to get more and more angry until it eventually consumes you. It's one of the two. So choose Sydney. Choose. I mean, hopefully, 
I mean, out of those two, honestly, I hope it's the first one, right? It'd be a lot easier to have a guardian angel looking out for you from the spirit realm, helping to guide you, than to have a spirit actively interfering in your daily life until it gets its way. So hopefully it's the first one, if it's either of them. But fascinating story. Sydney, we wish you the best. And I have no other input. I guess we'll find out when you post again how things worked out. Hopefully they go well. But possibly they will take you into a nightmarish reality where nothing is as it seems. Ayana, let's go ahead and leave behind this cursed couple. I'm going to toss you the keys of the carboner copter. We are headed out to the country of Chile. In Chile, and actually it seems to be like a pretty much a bulk of the country, is the Atacama Desert. We're talking 41,000 square miles that is so unlike anywhere else on Earth. This is where we send astronauts. This is where we send people to train for life on Mars. It's so hostile and foreboding to all life that back in 2003, this is really interesting. I don't know why I missed this news. Back in 2003, scientists wanted to go, we've been putting these landers on Mars to see if there's any sort of life on Mars. Let's see if the landers are accurate, because for all we know, they're like squishing a bunch of microbes and stuff. The microbes are running out of the way. They're like, evolve, legs, evolve! So they actually made simulations of the Mars landers, and they drove them around the Atacama Desert and ran the same testing we ran on Mars. No life was detected in the desert. And I go, yeah, that means that it's working on Mars. Like, if we were picking up a bunch of microbes here then we could go, maybe we missed something up there. Because that's how dry the Atacama Desert is. But the interesting thing about humans is we can try to live anywhere. Like a penguin would be like, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Any other animal would just kind of look at the desert and be like, no, I'm done. Scorpions, they might want to try it out, but then they get like halfway and they're like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be eating too. There's no water out here. There's no bugs. I'm out. We, though, humans are quite stubborn. We're always looking for a place to spread our legs. So you would get humans living in the Atacama Desert, but they lived along the coastlines. Any further out, people would be like, there's nothing out there. There's nothing out there. But the thing is, is because this place is so unlike anywhere on Earth, not only do we do Mars rover studies here and have people hang out here to pretend like it's on Mars, it's also one of the best places on Earth to do astronomical research. In 2011, a bunch of nations got together and built the Atacama Large Millimeter Array, which is out there. So it's interesting. It's a place that's hostile to all Earth life, but it's almost built... For alien life. Now this place, we covered this place, we talked about it once or twice before, and if you're big into UFOlogy, you've definitely heard of Atacama, because this is a place where that tiny little mummy came from, named Atta. It was like about six inches big. It's a human mummy with an elongated skull. And there's a lot of debate over whether or not it was an alien mummy or an alien hybrid. It definitely looks alien, right? It definitely did not look human. But they did all these studies and they said it was human. It was like a little deformed baby. But we had this skeleton that was 
thousands of years old because, again, because this area is so unique, mummies just kind of happen there. Like, in Egypt, they're like, okay, let's pull this dude's brains out with a hook and then, like, cut them open and pull out a couple organs and put in, like, sawdust. And then we're going to wrap them in bandages and leave him here until Abbott and Costello show up. In Atacama, it's kind of like, hey, Grandpa, you better move. Dude, don't sit in that chair for too long. You might become a mummy. It's very dry, and it's full of salt. There's a lot of salt deposits if you do happen to come across the lake. It's most likely a salt lake. So stuff got preserved there very, very easily. And this has been a boon for archaeologists and paleontologists and stuff like that. Because they find these preserved mummies. They find these preserved animals. And it's almost like you don't do anything. They die, and then nature's just like, you're a mummy now. But you could eke out a life on the outskirts of the Atacama Desert. And people did. People in Chile did. They started farming right next to the water. And though it was a hard scrabble life. And whenever you see harsh environments, you very quickly see a development of religion. Because you are at the mercy of the elements. You are at the mercy of nature. Therefore, you are at the mercy of the gods that control that region. And sure enough, in Chile, you had this shamanic tradition that We needed to praise the gods for these bountiful crops, for this successful fishing mission. We have to thank the gods because if we don't, they can take it away tomorrow. And in these villages on the outskirts of the Atacama Desert, they knew who the gods were. They saw them. Not just through the wonders of nature, not just through miracles, they saw them. There's an author named Salvador Frexito. And he wrote a book called Defendamos de los Dios. It's published in 1985. In English, that means let's defend ourselves against the gods. And there's that great website I found a while ago called Inexplicata. It is a website. It's an English language website dedicated to South American and Mexican UFO stories. This is great. I'm really, really digging this website. We've covered them a lot recently. It's really cool to find a lot of obscure stories that we don't really get in America. And this is what Salvador is talking about. He said the shamans in these villages would see lights in the sky. They would look up and they would see these bright lights, these wayward stars moving of their own volition. And when the shamans saw these stars in the skies, they knew the gods were coming. Time to prepare the sacrifice. We have to show these gods how grateful we are to them. So the shaman would take a llama or a dog and lead them out from the settlement into the desert. And then the shaman would return to the village and say, it's done. We brought the sacrifice to the gods. Now they do the gross stuff. Because they wouldn't kill the dogs. They wouldn't actually sacrifice them the way we think of a animal sacrifice. But the next day, the shaman would return to where they tied down the llama or the dog. And they would be dead. The animals would be dead. They would be completely drained of blood with a puncture mark found somewhere on the body. 
In modern parlance, this is what we call a cattle mutilation. I mean, it's a dog or a llama, but the idea is the same. There is an entire wing, an entire research site of UFOlogy that specifically looks at cattle mutilation. It's the same idea. Farmers coming out and finding their livestock dead, completely drained of blood with a puncture wound in them. Now, nowadays, we can also see the farmers report that all the soft tissue's gone. A lot of times, the eyeballs are gone and the genitals are gone. And that's what this would be. Doesn't, doesn't specifically mention that the dog's genitals are missing or the llama is missing its eyeballs, but we'll get to that in a second. But it still follows the activity of the cattle mutilation. Cattle mutilations is very interesting. We don't talk a lot about it on the show because it's so commonplace and I like to cover the more obscure stuff. But following the traces of cattle mutilation, originally it wasn't connected so much to the UFO community. Cattle mutilation, when it was really starting to come into the mainstream consciousness, a lot of that is thanks to a reporter, Linda Moulton Howe, a mainstream media reporter. She was not into UFOlogy. And one day her editor, I think she worked for like a local news station, her editor says, hey, why don't you look into this cattle mutilation thing? Because it was popping up in the 80s or late 70s. And she started to look into it and then she couldn't stop. She goes, there's no answers to any of this. Like, what is this phenomenon? She's become one of the leading voices in that side of UFOlogy. But Originally, I remember when I was first hearing about it in the 80s, it wasn't so much connected to UFOlogy. That was a theory. The other two theories was the government was doing some sort of testing and it was linked to the black helicopter phenomenon. Very, very common conspiracy theory. And it turned out to be true. Barack Obama did admit that the U.S. government has black helicopters and what a black helicopter is. It is a silent or stealth helicopter, which sounded ridiculous. Until one of them got shot down when they were doing the raid on Bin Laden's compound. It was a stealth helicopter. And the the people who were raiding the Bin Laden compound, the helicopter crashed. One of the stealth helicopters crashed and they had to blow it up on the scene. They didn't want this technology to get out there. But there were photographs of what we thought was conspiracy theory. Barack Obama made a joke about it and said, yeah, we got black helicopters. But then... Two or three years later, we saw photographic proof. And this is what farmers and militiamen were talking about all throughout the 80s. I look out my house, I see a bright light. It wasn't a UFO. I looked up, it was a black helicopter with no flags, no markings on it, and it didn't make a noise. And people laughed at him. They said, that's impossible. But the original the original theories was cattle mutilations was linked to the black helicopter phenomenon. Or cattle mutilations were linked to UFOs, which is the strongest link today. Or, this was always the most fascinating one to me, the cattle mutilation phenomenon really blew up in the mainstream consciousness at the same time, or around the same time, as the satanic panic in America. That there were these dark forces, these satanic groups working behind every level of government. Out in the middle of the woods, you'd have judges and mayors and business moguls coming out in the middle of the woods, worshipping Satan. Sometimes it was happening at a daycare and children were being abused. Sometimes it was happening in the highest levels of power. But Satan was being worshipped behind the scenes in America. And that was connected to the cattle mutilations. People were saying that these cows that were being found were sacrifices to the Dark Lord. 
I always found that really, really fascinating, and that's really fallen in third place. Most people just look at countermutilations as being part of the UFO phenomenon, and that's what we have here. And this story is really cool. I just found it the other day. We have a clear link between these ancient shaman. This is pre-Columbus. This is pre-Europeans coming into the New World where we have these stories happening. These shamans are sacrificing llamas and dogs to what we would now say are UFOs. Bright lights in the sky. Under their own power. Something being driven. Something being flown. Not shooting stars. UFOs. And they would be performing these mutilations. But that wasn't the end of the ceremony. I never thought about this. In all of the years that I've looked at the cattle mutilation theory, I've never thought about this before. The shaman would then take the llama or the dog's body back to the village. And the end of the ceremony would be the people in the village eat the animal. They eat the remains of this creature that had been drained of its blood by some unknown force. That was them completely giving thanks to these gods. I have never, ever once considered the thought of eating <laughs> eating a mutilated cow. A cow, let me back up. <laughs> I guess all hamburgers are from mutilated cows. But I never once thought, hmm... I wonder how delicious <laughs> if these stories of cattle mutilation are true. And I'm sure they are because there's so many of them and there's so much evidence of these. There is the, just the the skeptical answer. And even I think some of the cattle mutilations fall into this thing. These cows are just dead. And all their soft tissue and the blood isn't completely drained, but most of it is. And their eyeballs are eaten because of predators and because of like all the flies and the maggots and stuff dissolve the soft tissue first and that's when the farmer finds it i think that that does account for a good amount of cattle mutilations but not all of them and i've never thought once like brushing the maggots away from the eyeballs looking down and being like oh man the genitals are missing from the cow that's my favorite i guess i'll just eat the rest i never thought about eating a cow that was killed by an alien it was mutilated by some sort of unknown force. But that's what these guys did. So that is the full ceremony. That is what these Chilean shaman would do. And when I read that, I thought, this kind of puts a bow on everything. Maybe the answer isn't this or that. Maybe it's not A, B, or C. It's all of the above. A secret cabal of humans with access to stealth helicopters, which do exist, in stealing these cattle to communicate with their alien gods. Not Satan worshippers, not people worshipping a devil from below, but extraterrestrials from beyond. Maybe we shouldn't be trying to figure out if it's one or the other. It may be all of them. Maybe the secret, maybe the way to find out what the actual causes of cattle mutilations is to... Look at multiple theories combining into one. Are there groups of powerful people today reenacting the ancient ceremonies of the shamans of Chile? A group of people who eked out an existence on a place so unlike any other place on earth. A place so inhospitable to human life, it can only be described 
as an alien world. Blood-sucking aliens from beyond. Sounds like a bad 1950s horror movie. Actually, sounds like a good 1950s horror movie. But maybe that is actually the key to finding out what's behind this phenomenon. Except they're not just coming down and abducting any cattle. They're sucking the blood of the cattle that their human worshippers lay out for them. If this is true, then the real question is not what is the cause of cattle mutilations. The question becomes, what are the human worshippers getting from the aliens in return? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.